phone stop vibrating and stop blowing up for recording an episode of the Mixed Reviews. God, Gavin, you're so unprofessional. Uh, popular? Did you say the word popular wrong? I'm so popular. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm just so confused. <laughs> Welcome to the Mixed Reviews. I'm Gavin. Hi, and I'm Louie. And uh, this is a podcast where we take a, a actress, actor, uh, filmmaker, sometimes film companies, and we dissect them. Not and, frogs. Not frogs. Film stuff. Film stuff. And, uh, yeah, so if this is your first time listening, thanks for listening. And, Welcome. And uh, we're going to do something different this week, but before we get to that, we got some old business we to take care of. We do have old business. Okay, and first of all, before, I can't believe I almost forgot, we got quite a bit of, um, I would say maybe blowback. <laughs> um, I liked the person, con- I, I'm, but trying to get comments on our show for a while anyways. So. We, uh, so last week we talked about Pixar and, um, maybe didn't say the kindest things about the movie Brave. <laughs> and um, I like to think that I said some nice things, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> which is funny because I feel like every episode I'm the one who is um, a lot more gentler in our critiques. Um, but I've always found you very gentle. Thank movie. you so much. That's what I'm going for. Um, but yeah, so uh, thanks for everyone who got back to us. Uh, Brave, you have stands. So congratulations. Um, I still don't like you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so here's our poll. We ran, oh, why internet? Um, we ran our poll on at the mixed reviews, which you can find on Twitter. Did you right. pull it up? Yeah, I did pull it up. Okay. Excellent. And this is, uh, this is the first. We have a tie. A tie. Um, and literally it's, we have a first place and a second place because both Ratatouille and The Incredibles came in at 21% and Wally and Toy Story came in at 29%. Um, and it was funny because literally the movies were like going backward and forward all the entire week. I was like, okay, yeah. Incredibles coming like strong out of nowhere. I was really excited at one point because Wally had like a big lead and I was just like, yes, my Wally stands. No, no, no. And but ev- literally every person I talked to, uh, which by the way, if you're my friend and you're not listening to this, I'm shading you right now because you need to start listening to this podcast. Betrayed. But I talked to a lot of people and I was like, I was like, oh, my pick was Wally, and everybody was like, not The Incredibles? I would have thought The Incredibles for you, and I'm like, I am not a one-dimensional creature! Uh (laughs) You have lots of layers. (laughs) I do. And I'm currently wearing superheroes on my shirt right now. So... Uh, But yeah, I was super happy that Wally... You know what I actually loved about this poll is just that people are so passionate in general about... uh, uh, Pixar that, like, yeah, that it was two ties. It literally shows, you know, like, all of these... I mean, and even in these, like, top... I chose, uh, The Incredibles was the, the, I guess, outlier from like, right. I was like, what do I fill in this fourth slot with? Cause, and that's the other thing about Pixar is it, it could have been, except for like maybe two or three movies, it could have been any of it. Like, right. You could have put Monsters Inc. in there. Yeah. You could have put Finding Nemo in there. Yeah. Um, someone, a lot of people were like, I can't believe you didn't put Up in there. And I was like, well, I actually cut our discussion about Up out of the episode, but yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, we didn't like it as much as everyone else liked it. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, so that's great. Um, what are we mixing this week, Gavin? So, and by the way, once again, uh, just in case you didn't hear it, you can find those polls on at uh, the Mixed Reviews on Twitter. Uh, I'm just trying to social media push. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to threaten you guys into doing it, but I want to, like, push you towards it. He's a pusher. He pushes things. <laughs> Anyone um, get that reference? Tell me later. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, so this week we're actually doing our first, and this is this was mine. Uh, I pushed us towards this uh, pushing. Um, I'm again. pushing lots of lots of pushing. Um, I wanted to try doing somebody who was no longer with us, uh, who'd had a long, very long career. So this is our first uh, chance to sort of delve into Hollywood royalty. Yes. And this week we're doing 
Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford. Royalty, the actual queen bee. Yes, the queen bee. Exactly. Not Beyonce. <laughs> I don't want any Beyonce stands coming after us. They will ruin us, end us. <laughs> That's true. If, there, if there's one person in the media that has the power to take us down, it's Beyonce. Yeah. Everybody else, nope. 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 <laughs> Untouchable. Can't touch this. I regret saying that. Yeah. I regret saying that yeah. immediately. I can't cut it out either now. <laughs> Gavin, save me. But I think we should uh, head into our rewind and find out a little bit more about Joan Crawford. Right, great. So I went straight to the source for all things Texan, texasmonthly.com. Excellent. And found their Texas um, encyclopedia, the Texopedia, if you will. Ooh, and, I like that. And pulled up Miss Joan Crawford because if you didn't know, she was born in San Antonio, Texas. Yes, she was. Um... And I have all my notes here. Hold on. Hold the phone. Uh, <laughs> she was originally, she was born Lucille Faylesur. Um, Which is a beautiful name. So it is. It's, it's very elegant, I think. <laughs> um, what's crazy is like right off the bat, there's dramatics. Yeah. Um, no one really knows when she was born. It's like 1904, 1906. That's the kind of glamour I aspire to. Right. Was Gavin born in 1983? Was he born in 1993? Who no, knows? No, no, no. Mm-hmm. I could have been born yesterday. That's um, how beautiful and flawless the skin may be. Correct. Um, so literally on their website, it says she preferred the year 1908. <laughs> and I love that. Um, she preferred that people knew she was born in 22. Yeah, exactly. Three years before her first film. Um, she moved to Oklahoma. Um, her, her dad, like, abandoned the family pretty, um, quickly. Um, so they moved to Oklahoma with a new stepdad. Um, uh, she had some, like, dark, troubled times. A lot of Joan Crawford is, like, she was, like, the girl who came from nothing. Yeah. Um, her stepdad, who she didn't know was her, not her real father, um, he sexually, um, like, was assaulting her when she was 11. Um, they eventually moved to Kansas City. Um, and But she always knew she wanted to be an actress and a dancer. Um, she really didn't... She's the original Ivy Lynn. That's that's for all you stand, smash stands out there. Oh, my God. Ew, I, hate that <laughs> I hate that. I was at a place in my life where I didn't even get that reference until he said smash, and I was like, no! <laughs> Put down the chair, Louis. (laughs) Um, She did not um, go to school uh, after elementary school. She didn't um, get a formal education. And I I saw an interview where she says one of her great regrets in life was not, um, you know, getting an actual um, education. Um, So she started dancing in, like, theaters. Yeah. And she was discovered by a producer in Detroit um, and started putting her in, you know, little song and dance thingamabobs and so what she could dance too girl could dance if, if you go online and uh put in your little google machine uh-huh. i'll find a youtube clip for this movie she did called dance girl dance and she can cut a rug and she can dance girl yeah dance, dance. <laughs> um in 1925 uh mgm studios um made her instantly famous they offered 500 dollars to the fan who submitted the best new name for the studio starlet um, apparently she said, she has said in interviews that they thought her name was too long for the marquee. How did you hit upon the name jo- Joan Crawford? I didn't. Um, they had a contest in a magazine, photoplay magazine, I think it was. And, uh, the first choice was Joan Arden. So I uh, did two pictures, Arden. Arden. A-R-D-E-N, like Elizabeth. And, um. Uh, 
so I did two pictures under the name of Joan Arden, and a Joan Arden, an extra girl, sued Metro. Mm -hmm. So they took second choice, Joan Crawford. And I said, sounds like crawfish. And Billy Haynes, my best friend, said, better crawfish than cranberry. It's served with turkeys. I hope you never make one. And yet, you know, it stuck. Uh, she was, uh, let's see, she was only five foot three, which is a fun fact. Yeah, which is crazy because you look at her in movies and you do not think she's no, a short woman. No, she's at all. like dominating yeah. everything. Um, one of the things like that's immediately recognizable about her is her huge shoulders. Um, apparently, her shoulders are so wide that at a that a studio courtier 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 a designer. There you go. Uh, <laughs> despairing of reducing them decided to exaggerate them instead because uh it was just too much work to like hide her shoulders and so her padded shoulders became her fashion trademark how did you come to get the part of mildred pierce well i think god had his hand on my shoulder because mr mike curtis hated me he wanted barbara stanwick he wanted no part of me he said i don't want those big broad shoulders she wears padded shoulders and i said well, uh, so I went to Sears Roebuck. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, I bought off the rack three dresses to test in for house, just house dresses. Now, when I first started in pictures, Adrian said, I've never seen such big shoulders. She should be the female Johnny Weissmuller. <laughs> so... Adrian said, I can't cut her shoulders off, so I'll just exaggerate them. So that's how the padded shoulders came in. So Microtis said, I hate those big shoulders. I hate them. I hate them. So one day while we were testing, he hated me so much, he said, I hate you. And he tore the dress off me. And thank God I had a bra on. Um, he said, my God, they're hers. Not these, these. <laughs> she appeared in 82 movies, 23 of them were silence, um, including one in which she appeared nude. Yes. Called The Plumber. And apparently she later bought up almost every copy. Yeah. Well, you know. You know. You can't let those Crawfords out. <laughs> well, I think, I think I read on her Wikipedia, it says like when she was trying to finance her career, she was in like some softcore. That, that's up to debate and that's another bit of like the Joan Crawford mythos um there were pe- pe- a couple people who claimed to have stag films with her um partaking in them um and they were able to hold them over her head later in her career which really leads to the the credibility of the fact that they existed right but nobody really knows if they did or not um which is an interesting sort of like part of her uh, you know, yeah, her legend, her legend, yeah. I mean, we've all done a little bit of softcore porn. It's whatever, yeah, it's whatever, Joan. Yeah, yeah. softcore. So, um, yeah, softcore. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, she was married three times. Wait, three times? Four times? She was married four times. Yes. Um, her first three husbands. Were... I wasn't gonna correct you. I was like, well, he's gonna count them. I'm gonna get it. <laughs> like... Um, the first three were actors: Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Yes. How do you say this name? Frenchot. Uh, Frenchotone. Frenchotone. <laughs> Which literally sounds like a trombone. Yeah. Um, he's uh, kind of a wet blanket. And he's in a bunch of movies with her. So. And um, Philip Terry. Her fourth was Pepsi Cola executive Alfred Steele. Yes. Um, I like how here they say, she, whose product she habitually spiked and swilled. Yeah. Shade, but <laughs> true. 
Um, she starred in eight movies with Clark Gable more than any other leading man. They also had an off-screen romance. Her arch rival, Betty Davis, once sniped that Crawford, quote, slept with every male star at MGM except Lassie. <laughs> bitch! Oh, bitch. <laughs> um, her legendary feud with Davis began in 1935 when Bette dallied with Franchot Tone. Um, and Davis's two Oscars further enraged her. Yeah. Um, Crawford got her revenge when she signed, uh, was signed by Warner Brothers, which was Davis's longtime studio. Um, and then, of course, they later had uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which is, you know, kind of also the topical reason why we're talking right. about Joan. Uh, because n- not only Feud has, uh, was a huge success, it got like a million Emmy nominations. Uh, you know, Olivia de Havilland is now like out of her like, Hermitude to like comments, which is crazy. Um, thank you, Ryan Murphy, for like your mad bag idea of tricks. Um, I will never say thank you, Ryan Murphy. So you can go to hell, Ryan Murphy. Well, first, I, I guess also like I did not see feud. Yeah, we could talk about it in the fast forward. I feel okay. like that's a place to great. Um, so yeah, it's... Joan had a really hard time, I think, at the end of her career. Um, there was a while where she was pegged as box office poison. Um, and she had a really crazy life with her kids. She adopted her first two children while she was single. Um, and then, uh, did she adopt the, the twins also? Yes. Yeah. She yeah. was the mother of four, four. adopted. Yes. Yeah. So she adopted all four of her kids. Um, she was also known, she was known as a philanthropist. Um, but she loved doing it on like the DL. She loved giving it extravagant gifts to like every person on set all the time. Um, and she, she loved being a star. Yes. Um, I think there's a great quote that's like, no one made Joan Crawford a star. She made herself a star. She was like putting herself out there, going to Hollywood parties, showing off her with her dancing skills that she could be a star. Um, and really make a case for her as like someone who could carry a studio. Um, she was with MGM for 17 years, yeah. something crazy like that. Um, and she worked her ass off essentially. Like she worked her ass off. And she had a lot of fun doing it. And she took so much care and loved her fans so much. She, uh, I mean, this is a completely different time, you know? Like, so when there was an opportunity for her to, like, go out and meet fans, she was out there doing it all the time. She was writing letters back to every single person. Yeah, she handwrote so many letters. She kept, like, a files of everyone who, like, would write to her because that was her lifeblood. She lived for the applause. You know, you're a dead ringer for Joan Crawford. Am I really? Uh, don't look now, but uh, I am Joan Crawford. Heard. Joan Crawford. <laughs> yes. Uh. Oh, somebody get some water. Quick, he's fainted. The thing that people tend to forget especially nowadays because it's it's not that aspect of it is not as much um as prevalent amongst celebrities nowadays is you know it's called show business for a reason yeah and she was very like business minded right she knew she needed to keep her name in lights she knew she needed to keep her you know her name on people's lips like and that's really how she was able to sort of spread her star around and this is the other thing her first film was 1925 her last film was 1970 yeah i mean she had a like 50 year movie career right. which is unheard of yeah i mean and especially when you think back in the day when it's like 
even today, being a woman in Hollywood is fucking awful. Yeah. You know, and so you imagine... But, but back then you were essentially, like, bought in contract for Right. And, like, you, you, like, women especially, like, had to maintain certain weights and everything. You bear up so well under it. How do you keep that uh, eternal youth of yours? I drink Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> do you, uh, besides Pepsi, have a special diet you follow? No, I eat very well. I must tell you, Bill, that I do, do not eat large amounts, but I find that I must eat about every three hours um, to keep up the energy, and I always push it away before it, when it tastes the best so I don't gain weight, and I do get my energy without any uh, worry about the weight. I had a grandfather who said something like that to me one time. He said, learn to push yourself away from the table. Mm -hmm. When it tastes the best. What did you... And I never eat desserts, too. No dessert. Never. I learned a long time ago when I had a lot of weight to lose when I was 16. I was 145 pounds. And uh, when I saw myself on the screen, I thought, oh, my goodness. So I learned at 16 and up through 18 to not like the things that were not good for me. And you can do that, you know. You can. You oh, train yes. yourself. Yes, you just train yourself. Anything that isn't good for you, cut it out. It didn't matter how good of an actress she was because right. she was a contract person. So they could turn her down based on looks alone. Yeah, and she also, I think, worked very hard to prove that she was an actress. Um, and it's crazy, though, because she definitely, on purpose, has built this persona or she built that persona. Yeah. And she enjoyed fanning those flames. Like, she was not above, you know, like... I, I read something that she was at a premiere and she wanted to go out and see the fans and they were like, you can't, you'll start a riot. And she was like, oh, I'll put on a disguise. It'll, it'll be fine. And she proceeded to like put on an aggressively like huge hat, a big brooch, a diamond brooch, and, like huge glasses, like just being the most ostentatious, like ridiculous. And literally she stepped outside and like one second later, people were like losing their goddamn minds. It's like she knew what she was doing. And so she liked that type of attention and, uh, the drama she she loved it you know and um and it it kept people talking and kind of like the allure the mystique of who joan crawford was and still to this day people are like who was the real joan crawford you know yeah and that's and that's one of the things i i do want to you know you brought up the kids and i figure we'll just get this out of the way right now um we're here basically to, you know we give a background on the person um we're not here to judge their private lives obviously one of the big things about Joan Crawford when you talk about her is you sort of have to talk about Mommy Dearest. And Mommy Dearest was a book her eldest daughter uh, wrote after she had passed away about the abuse she suffered at the hands of Joan. And, like, it's horrifying and awful, and uh, nobody should have to go through that. But also, we're not really here to discuss that. Yeah, so, and it's, like, it's weird. But we can both admit, like, it's gross. Like, it, it's bad that it happened. It's like, super gross, yeah. But it's also, I mean, I was, I've read so many, people, biographers have said, you know, like, Christina, you know, made up a lot of the things right. or exaggerated things. And, like, I am not one to be, like, a victim, like, uh, you know, like, uh, not no, believing yeah. at all. But it's, um, it's depending on who you talk to I was in her say, personal there, life. There's official biographers who say they don't believe it. There's official biographers who say they absolutely do believe it. Right. There was a huge split amongst the children. Christina and Christopher agreed. And they were older than the twins anyways. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a good yeah. chance that... If stuff happened, it occurred before the twins right. were in the household. Their experiences were probably very different. But were very different. Christina and Christopher claim many things happened, and the twins claim that they never saw anything like right. that. Right. So, I mean, and and 
to be noted, Christina and Christopher were cut out of her will. Right. Uh, and well, the the I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the movie Mommy Dearest when we get to our fast forward. But the uh, that the movie Mommy Dearest, even though it's based off the book, feels like with its final line that it's essentially saying maybe Christina's making it up because she says like you know like that's it she's won and her final line is she's like may you know maybe not yet or something like that and, it's, and it feels like oh well she's gonna write this for revenge yeah and once again total i like we I, don't know we don't know we and don't like know. i d- definitely not victim blaming christina crawford because what she describes is horrible for any child right. to have gone through right um but, but i mean it's a very sad portion of john crawford right life and, it, and it's also just like it's crazy just it's this woman was so interesting and like layered and you know the claims of violence is horrifying but then you hear about you know she left so much money to charities and was giving like all this philanthropy she was also best friends with a lot of gay actors and like um held their cause close to uh close to her heart um and so yeah she's a extensively interesting character and i'm really um glad uh we got into her this because i had only seen one of her movies before um, the women, and I saw it like in college, and I loved it. But for a long time, I thought like movies, um, like these old movies in the twenties and thirties, were like unaccessible to me. Like I was like nervous to try to get in there. Um, but they're so good. Yeah, it's they're so fun, and like there's movies just aren't made like this anymore. Not to say that all these are amazing, but like no, no, yeah, the, like but like the writing and like the comedy and it's just like so like now it's like oh it's everything's so campy or like it's campy but, like back then. Like, this is so sincere, you and, know? And I'm glad you had such a good experience because I worried about this. I actually asked you on the walk over here um, if you'd seen many older films because I was sort of the reverse. Um, and this is going to sound silly. Uh, it's not meant to. Um, as a as a colorblind American, as I like to say, mm-hmm. um, black and white movies were incredibly accessible to me as a child because... Um, I didn't have to worry or feel stupid if I didn't recognize, like, because part of me being colorblind is I have a tendency to ask, like, what color is that? You know, and that's not something everybody's used to in their normal life because it's like, why did this kid learn his colors? <laughs> um, so black and white movies have always been a big part of my life because I could relate to them in a way that... Because you live live in black and yeah, white? Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but I could relate to them in a way that, like, perhaps, uh, you know, other other people weren't you know, at such a young age, because I know so many people who think black and white instantly means boring. And, right. it, and it doesn't. It absolutely does not. Yeah. And, there, and there's so many... That's the other thing about Joan Crawford's career is because she started... She started in silent films. And uh, it's it's interesting to, like, watch the way her acting style changes. Silent films are uh, very expressive and, and a lot of big hand gestures, a lot of big, like, eyes. And she had a great face for it. Oh, my God. But what's weird is in the 30s... She, her acting style went the other direction. She did a ton of pre-code movies, especially all the movies you mentioned with Clark Gable. Yeah, and so pre-code movies were movies before Pro- that didn't have like a moral yeah, authority. Pri- prior to the Hayes Code, which was implemented uh, sort of like we have the MPAA nowadays. And we can get into that in a- another episode if you guys are real confused about the Hayes Code. Feel free to drop us a message, reviewsmixed at gmail.com or 
mixed reviews on uh twitter the mixed reviews on twitter but um but the haze code was there to sort of like you know like religious people couldn't be bad and like um no one could be a sex worker and nobody could do drugs and nobody could swear nobody like women women couldn't be like real sexual beings and it's like essentially like you know everything was everything was pious and like you know and so a lot of the movies and you 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 feel that the pre-code movies it's like they're racier they're edgier and then when you get into the the code movies it's like the late 30s 40s 50s like it all kind of you're like oh well even like all this tension and drama you know in the end it has to go back to her being good. Right. Or like, you know, there's a lot of these. Or movies. she, or she'll be punished for it. Right. That's the other thing. Like, like it's either like she has to end up being like a pious person in the, during the Hayes Code period. Right. Or she has to die. Or it's even like there's, she, if she's set up as a character who's like maybe bad in some way, but then like as the movie goes along, it's like surprise in the end, it was someone else or like yeah. someone tricked her into duping it and she's been good this entire time. And I'm like, oh, well, that's boring. Bye. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in the thirties, like her acting style got a lot smaller and a lot less expressive. And it was sort of interesting to watch because that's not a time period in which there was a lot of small acting you know one of the things that made betty davis great is she had that sort of exaggerated like like everything was real dramatic to her and (laughs) and it's interesting to see because i hadn't realized that i hadn't seen as many joan crawford movies as perhaps i thought i had you know you mentioned she did 83 films right um which is crazy uh and so i was interesting to see that and then it was also interesting to see that in the 40s she got a lot bigger again and i think it was just because of the code because of uh, melodramas became really, really big. Noirs became really big. Yeah. Uh, post World War II in America, even though noirs existed prior to that. And if you go to film school and somebody says, oh, noirs were invented after World War II, uh, the French were you're, doing them way before. You're a liar, Dina. <laughs> exactly. Um, so she, she's a really interesting person to, to watch and to be able to see her career change as it goes and, and sort of, um, you know, how, how she performed and totally how. she like lives like there are certain modes that she you'll find her in in the early yeah. days she's like the flapper girl she was yeah. the flapper girl absolutely um and because she could dance she was gorgeous um seeing her on screen it made me think like oh this is why anne hathaway is as famous and as popular as she is yeah. because she has the great big mouth the great expressive eyes she's gorgeous and ex- she's the girl that you can like connect with um so she was the flapper girl. She was the girl from like Hard Scrabble, nothing trying to make her way up. She was uh, then she turned into the mom. Yes, um, and she's either, and that started really early for right. her actually. And she was either like the pious good, oh I can't believe, mo- whatever mom, or she was the bitch. Yes, like the crazy mom, like yeah. unhinged. Um, and then like in her later career, it turned into this full on like camp camp. You know, the, um, there, there's a certain phrase that gets uttered, um, especially post baby Jane called hagsploitation. Yeah. Um, and she became a big focus of that. She began working with William Castle, who's a really famous horror well, didn't director. Baby Jane start that. Yeah. So that's the, it's the impetus for hagsploitation. Right. And, um, yeah. And, and so that sort of her career didn't end on the highest of notes, um, but the fact that she kept working, I feel like, is really admirable. Regardless, yeah. I mean, she was at the time she was also very much into alcohol, and yeah, yeah, it was not it was not a good, you know. She uh, retired. She became sort of a recluse um, uh, about seven years before she died because she saw some really unflattering paparazzi photos of herself and decided she just didn't want to be in the public eye anymore. Yeah, I um, think I saw one of the, her last interviews, and it's crazy because she was beautiful from like her, her entire career. Yeah. But you just know that she cared so much about the way she looked. And 
Um, you may, can you imagine like seeing a picture of yourself and me like I'm never going outside again? Yeah, exactly. Bye. Um, I can actually imagine. That. <laughs> um, but anyway, too, too real, guys. Yeah, exactly. Too real. Uh, I think it's time. But yeah, so that's that's Joan Crawford. We should move into our uh, our tops and our bottoms. Okay, so I have my list. This is the most I've watched for any episode we've done. Same. Um, and I think I topped out like at 22 movies. That's really impressive. Because last time I spoke to you, you were like 12. Right, yeah. And, and I was like, really? Because I've watched 30. And yeah. in the end, I watched 37. Zan. Yeah. <laughs> Color me impressed. Um, so do you want me to go first? Yes, okay. I do, actually. Okay, so I have to say that sh- there's a lot of good movies she's done. I found myself surprisingly engaging with a lot of these movies. Um, Mildred Pierce, which is the movie that she won her Oscar for, is very, very good. It is. It's really good. And they changed stuff from the book. Right. Um, it's funny because the, it was remade a couple of years ago uh, with, by Todd Haynes for HBO. And like I had not read the book. And I was like... Nobody kills anybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but what I love is like this Mildred Pierce, they add in this murder subplot, but I like it. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't watch the, the new version, but, um, <laughs> I have a funny story. My sister and my mom will never listen to this. So I just, uh, I watched the new Mildred Pierce with them. And, uh, there's a scene in which Guy Pierce goes down on Kate Winslet and it's not very long. And my mom literally just goes like, um, no, my sister was the one, and she was like, oh, yeah, like, like it would be that quick. And my mom's like, yeah, it's never that quick. And I was like, ah! ah! Like, <laughs> no, ladies, no. <laughs> I'm choking. <laughs> oh, my God. I know too much about your family, yeah. Gavin. Mm. <laughs> um, sashay away. Sashay away. <laughs> I really like Mildred Pierce, but I don't think that was my top movie. Um, I loved Humoresque. I love um, yeah. Uh, but then I realized, I think I like it, uh, but she's not, like, the star of it. Right. She's she's there, but she's not, like, the reason why I love that was not was not because of her. Yeah. There's nothing very strange about me. I was married twice before, once at 16, once at 21. One was a crybaby and the other was a caveman. Between the two of them, I said goodbye to girlhood. I love the women a lot. I rewatched that. That's what I had watched. And she's before. not a huge role in that, and I forgot how le- not late in her career is, but it's later in her career than I thought because it's not a huge role. That is peak bitchy Joan Crawford. Like yeah. it, she delivers the iconic line. Well, girls, looks like it's back to the perfume counter for me. And by the way, there's a name for you, ladies, but it isn't used in high society outside of a kennel. Long, ladies. As Crystal Allen, she's the best. Um, but my pick, and the reason why I'm, the women isn't my pick because it ends in a weird, really weird way. Um, my pick is uh, her earlier Possessed. Oh, the or the first one? The first Possessed. Okay. Oh, that's another interesting thing about Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford was in two different movies named the same thing. Right. Years apart because there's the 1947 Possessed and then there's the 1931 Possessed and with I, Clark Gable. And I'm choosing the 1931 Possessed. Um, this is pre-code. Yes. Um, and, and it was crazy because like, I mean, when you find these movies, like they're not in great quality. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, I don't know if I can like hear everything. And, but the story is so good. And, uh, so Possessed essentially is, um, she is 
like uh she she's a poor girl living in a, like a mill town like and she's a factory worker yeah and she uh a, a dude who also works in the factory wants to like marry her and she's like i want to do other shit <laughs> she's like that's a pretty word for word like literally she's like um and do what marry you and like be here forever boo bye i want to go like get lit get rich like have yeah. fun and she like she literally meets a stranger uh, at a bar. Say, what do you do in this godforsaken spot? Work in a paper box factory. Oh, go on. Nothing like you ever came out of a paper box. But I mean to get away. Ooh, naughty, naughty. Off the big city to be done wrong by? To be done right by. Now, is that a nice way to talk? <laughs> Don't tell me you're not a country maiden with a heart of gold beating beneath your flannel nighty. Oh, I can't bear it. Come on, you must have a drink and complete my ruin. What is it? Who cares? The label says champagne. But you can't drink the label. Getting wasted, and he's like, oh, I'm from New York. Like, it's the best. You should come, like, whenever. It's super cool. And so she just decides to just, like, take off. She goes and sees him, and he's like, who are you? What? <laughs> and she, like, and he just tells her, okay, well, here's the advice I give you. Like, find a man who's got lots of money and who can, like, take care of you. And that's how you make it in society. And she essentially smeagles her way into, like, snooty upper class and um, starts, like, seeing this guy who... Is he a widow? I can't remember. I think he is. A widower. Yes. Yeah. Right. Black widow. A black widow. <laughs> um, and they carry on this relationship. They're, they don't get married. Um, to, to, keep, to protect her reputation, though, they tell everyone that... She, um, is a, she's a widow and she's like, uh, living off money from her dead husband, but they're basically fucking and having lots of fun yeah. on, the, on the DL and she m- makes a name for herself in and society. So many great scenes between them. Like, yeah. she really did have yeah. so much chemistry with Clark. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. And, um, he then is, uh, um, like some big, like, states person wants to make him governor or run for yeah. something and senator, I think. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. And, but they'd say, you know, you're going to have to get rid of that girl because people are going to talk. And she overhears this conversation where he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Like, I love her. I, I'm not going to run for this. Like, and she overhears it. And because she loves him so much, she lies to him and says, I don't want you. I don't need you. Go away. Bye. Um, and so he runs and he's heartbroken. And there's a the great ending scene where um, his competitors are trying to like fuck with him and like fake news him and whatever. Yeah. And they throw out a bunch of like um flyers with her name. Yeah. Like who is Who is um whatever her name was, Miss Hollandale or yeah. whatever. And so they're like, Who is this woman? And blah I'll answer that question. She's nothing to Mark Whitney. Yeah? Well how do you know? I am Mrs. Morland. I was in his life once, but I'm not in his life anymore. He belongs to you. All of you who are here tonight. Yeah? Well, he don't belong to me. Me neither. No, of course not. Because you were hired by his enemies to play this contemptible trick. Men who can be bought and sold have no claim on Mark Whitney. After all, what is this crime they've unearthed against him? Is he a murderer, a thief, or a liar? No. Worse. He loved a woman, and she loved him. Do you want to tear his heart open? Do you want to pry into its deepest secrets? Well, you don't have to. I'll tell you what's in it. Everything that was fine and honest and chivalrous that he did for a woman. How many of you could get off so easily? How many of you could face the white light of publicity? Could you and you 
and you and you. Be honest, men and women. Don't let the cowards rob you. Mark Whitney belongs to you. Keep him. She's like, and who cares? We're in love. We're having fun. Like, <laughs> we're fucking and it's awesome, guys. This man's cool. Vote for him. And then, like, I like your adored a lot version yeah, of that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, thank guys. You. Guys, <laughs> party. <laughs> but it's such a fun movie. And seeing her kind of like, a lot of her movies are, a lot of these movies are about like a trick or, you know, being someone who you're not or trying to fit right. in. And so this is a classic of that, but also they are, you know, it's not like where she's like, Oh, I love you so much. Please marry me. Uh, like a lot of her movies are that also. Yeah. And this movie just dispenses of that because they didn't have to like live up to any fucking moral code where it's like they, right. they, they needed to be this type there, of couple. There's a lot of really great pre-code movies. Yeah. Where that, but that one is probably the, the highlight of, of those specific. And it's funny cause I, I wrote down everything I watched and I was like, okay, I liked this. I like this. And I, I revisited all of them and I was like, Oh wait, I really fucking like this. And it doesn't give, it doesn't, a lot of the movies that I do like of hers, some of them still give me pause or I'm like, Oh, well, like they punish her for doing X, Y, Z in this movie. Right. Like she, she ends up going back to the guy who cheated on her in that movie. I'm like, oh, the, and that's a, that's a sign of the times of the movies that are made, of course. But this movie doesn't really fall into any of that. Yeah, it's she, not judgmental, really. It's not judgmental at all. She makes her own decision where she's like, you know what? I am going to remove myself from this relationship to help better my partner, who I yeah. really care for. And and then when he's confronted by it, and and people who are asking about him, she's like, you know what? Fuck all this. I'm going to like stand up and do what I want to do. And so uh, from the beginning to the end of that movie, she is uh, firm in her stance where she's like, I want more. And yeah. I want more and I'm not going to be punished for wanting more, um, which happens to her a lot in other movies, which is sad. The, uh, no, I like that. That's a really good choice and a very unexpected one. Um, Thank you, Gavin. The, uh, because we both watched so many movies, I knew it was, it was going to have to be um, unexpected. I, I did also have Humoresque really up top. Um, I think part of what's great about Humoresque is it's it's so over the top for it's it's from 1946 and that like music. The, yeah, the, it's like wall to wall classical music. She's like constantly smoking. Everything's shot through something, like shot right. through a glass, shot through smoke. Like, right. Um, she's wearing glasses. She doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, There's a great featurette on how they made um, the the main actor who I thought was so dreamy in that movie. And he died like shortly there after. Really? Yeah, yeah. He died at the age of 29. It's John. Gavin, right? Or no, not John Gavin. Um, no. John Garfield. Um, that sounds right. He's just like such like a manly. Yeah, he died. He died in the uh, in the apartment of a female friend in Ooh. her bed, even though he was married to somebody else. Dramatics. She, she claimed to uh, be sleeping on the couch when it happened, but okay, Chicago. I've yeah. seen this before. Exactly, but he wasn't wearing clothes. And oh. yeah, um, this the, the humoresque is about a violinist, and there's yeah. incredible like violin playing, and they essentially had him put his arms behind his back and had a professional like one of the best in the world. They had to sh- do a lot of tricky shooting. I'm like yeah. fucking violin and no one can see me. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Everybody uh, knows you're miming. It's yeah. I, I, uh, I once played violin once. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's true. And yeah, the, the movie is just really, really good. But I don't think she's the star of it. She's yeah. she's a big part of it, but she's not like... Well, I mean, why. she doesn't even show up for the first like right. 40 minutes. Right. It's uh, about it's about the guy and um, him playing music. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one that I think that you may disagree with, which is fine. Um, but I, I'm curious because you, you actually just mentioned you watched it earlier and I, I don't think it's, 
as I've said before, like I try to pick things that are out of convention, and I do really think she's great in Mildred Pierce. She's really great in Sudden Fear, which is something else she was nominated for Best Actress for, um, and nobody makes films like that anymore, and I highly recommend going to see that, or going out and seeing that. But I really liked a film I watched really late called Daisy Kenyon. Oh! And the thing I thought was interesting about that is, as I mentioned before about her acting, this was 1947. Mm-hmm. This was sort of the return to the height of like big acting for her. But not the height, because she gets even bigger. Like, she yeah. basically starts chewing scenery in the right. 50s. But um, but the thing that I liked about Daisy Kenyon was it was her first really small performance in about a decade. And Daisy Kenyon's a very, very simple movie. Yeah. It's uh, Otto Preminger directed it. She bought the right, she tried to buy the rights to it initially, and she, uh, the studio had already purchased it. Um, so she recommended Otto, Otto Preminger directed um it's her and it's um henry fonda mm-hmm. and um dan andrews um and it's a love triangle between them she's she's fucking dan andrews who's a, a lawyer um who's married with kids and his wife is abusive towards the kids which i was crazy super surprised about did yeah. not think that the was going to carry through as like a plot line but it was yeah, but it does um and she so she gets stood up by Dan Andrews and she meets uh, Henry Fonda, who's a veteran of the war. He's just come back from War II and his wife has passed away. And he's like still in love with the ghost of his wife, sort of. But he's also like a super gentleman and he like proposes to her on their second date, which is insane. And she ends up like realizing like this relationship with this married man, not going anywhere. You're never going to be divorced because you don't want to be. Believe me, I'm not being sorry for myself. I knew it would be like this. It's just that I'm tired, that's all. Tired through. She marries Henry Fonda. Maybe not the best idea. Maybe not in the best mental state. Don't um, they do this whole dance where they're both like, he knows that she is in love with Dan, right? Right. And and they both are kind of like... And she flat out says, yeah. you're in love with your dead wife. Yeah, and they both are just kind of like, well... I guess one day we'll learn to like not love yes. other people. And um and it sort of goes on from there and there's a back and forth. There's an <laughs> attempted sexual assault trigger warning. There is which once again was really shocking for forty seven and like it's not graphic by any means. Like there's no, no. nobody's even out of their clothes, but it's shocking when yeah. it occurs because you're not expecting it from that time period. And and it's emotional. But yeah, because they're built up to be these really good friends. Right. And they even after she has married and he goes back to his wife, they're still like good friends and hanging yeah. out. And Dana Andrews attempts to to rape her. Yeah. And like she fights him off, and then cries. And you really feel for a moment, like, yeah. shit, like, I just watched something real that I shouldn't have been, like, I shouldn't have been party to. Yeah, you're right. I I remember watching that, and I was like, it's not shocking in, like, you know, fucking sea rape on right. TV all the time, but, like, right. you're there's right. A, and there's an entire Law & Order that's been running for 20 years. Right, it. literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're right, in the context of these movies, like, I had never seen, like, you... And o- it's post-Haze Code. Like, you, you always see, like, when the guy, like, grabs the girl and kisses her, right. she eventually gives in, and it's, like, yeah. lovely. And that happens in a couple of, of her films, yeah. too. Um, it's funny that rape, actually, the, the term rape was never used in the film until Otto Preminger's uh, Anatomy and Murder. Wow. Um, so it's another Otto Preminger. That, um, so, essentially, in the end, uh, Dan Andrews comes to her and he's like, I'm divorcing my wife. My wife wants to make our fair, very much similar to, to your, he's like, she's going to drag your name through the mud. And she's kind of like, I don't care. Let's, let's do this. And because of that, Henry Fonda's kind of like, well, I guess this has run its course. Right. Like, I guess I'm, uh, you know, you helped me. I helped you. Like we're, 
we're done. And um, and then the sort of like there's a back and forth and there's a car crash. And I don't I don't want to give too much away because I highly recommend it. It's on Filmstruck if you want to go watch it. Uh, but the the love triangle has a really satisfying resolution. But I think the thing I liked the most about it was I really really loved her performance because it was so subtle and it wasn't. It was in a time in which she wasn't doing as much subtle work. Because you look at Mildred Pearson, it's really great, but she is kind of big. Right. She's kind of like doing her like, Veda, I'm your mother, yeah, like sort yeah. of. And yeah. and there's none of that. It's this very quiet, it's a, it's a very modern way to make a film that is essentially a very old melodrama. For sure. It's a very modern film for its time. Um, I'm, I'm recommending this against caution because I will say... In the end, no one like at the time, no one liked the movie. It's since been reevaluated by a lot of critics and and even some like really professional critics have named it as one of their favorite films. But like Otto Preminger did an interview in the 70s where he said he literally didn't remember making the movie. <laughs> and um Joan Crawford was asked about the movie late in her career and she said, Oh yeah, that that one's a real stinker. Had Otto not directed it, nobody would have cared. So, like, I, I mean, but I, I think what it is, is I think, like, our context has changed for that style of movie. It's, right. it's very simple and just very well done. And I, I really love the way Otto, and Otto was a beast. He's a jerk, but, like, he, uh, he could direct a movie. Um, like, ask me what I wrote down next to that. Please tell me what you wrote down next to Daisy Kenyon, because I, you mentioned it on the walk here, and I was like, oh, he's gonna hate this. Um, I, I wrote, um, three words. Boring love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's like, a, but that's a thing. Like I, I think like, in, I think you either get invested in it or you don't, and I can't, I can't blame you for that. The it's just like in this, like I told you, all these movies were bleeding together for yeah. me, and a lot of the movies are like a twist, murder, yeah. like, and so, I and I think I do like my Joan a little bit unhinged. I <laughs> like her. And she's really great when she's unhinged. We talked about Straight Jacket, which is like yeah. one of William Castle's movies, and she's really fantastic in I that movie. I love it. Leave me alone! You let go of me! Listen to me! Just call me Lucy. I wouldn't like my little girl to think I was trying to take her fellow away from her. Carol and Michael are going to be married! And nobody's gonna stop it! Queen Bee is another movie that I really enjoyed her performance so in. It's good. essentially like knockoff Tennessee Williams. It's it's cat on a hot tin roof if she were playing Big Papa. Um, or Big Daddy. Sorry. <laughs> Big Daddy. Oh, Eva. You should have been here. Beauty's been making decisions all by himself. About Carol and Judd. They're getting married right away. Oh, that's wonderful. I was hoping they wouldn't wait. Oh, I'm so happy for them. I don't know what <laughs> She can be really good, big, but I thought I don't know. To me, it felt like much more of a return to sort of what she was doing in the '30s, but with a more '40s pressure on it to be like the good girl, right, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I forgot to mention Joan winning her Oscar for Mildred Pierce, yes. and how she was so extra that she did not even go to the Academy Awards. No, she laid up in bed. She laid up in bed and she she will tell the story. There's interviews of her saying how she was sick and the doctor yeah. said she couldn't go. But a lot of people say that she was too nervous. And she and was too nervous because and so she literally was laid up in bed. They gave she wins the Oscar and she got it had delivered and as soon as she had it, she like opened her house to all of you know, and in Christina Crawford's version, she's neither. She was just trying to make a scene. So I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, any which way, it's so yeah. extra. She like literally 
there's a famous picture of her in bed holding her Oscar. Yes. Like, she invited all these reporters and photographers to be like, because, I mean, I, can you imagine, like, she, and she's even, she's even said, you don't understand what these Oscars mean oh, yeah. to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My doctor was with me, sitting on me. Literally holding me down in the bed. Because I was ready to get out and go because I, I had received the nomination and I was so, so grateful. I don't think the public knows what that Oscar means to us. It is one of the most emotional things that can ever happen to a human being. Why do you think it is? Because it comes from your colleagues or what? It comes from the people who work with us and who work in the same industry. We are chosen by them, not the public. She didn't, she didn't have a profession. She had a life. Yeah, that's the... literally. Uh, we, but... haven't, we haven't even talked about Baby Jane, though. I'm... No, we haven't. Um, do, you, do we care to mention Baby Jane? Listen, Baby Jane is its own thing. I think if you're going to talk about Baby Jane more than anything, you need to really talk about Betty Davis. Betty Davis is the one that's pulling the face in that, right. in that movie. Um, but uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's a little overrated. And the, the people were... I, I, I watched it and I was like, that's it? Yeah. The, uh, it's more well known because of the the feud between them, you know. And that's yeah. She rarely spoke about the feud, but she did one time mention it briefly. I'm sure you must get very bored by the the constant fiction that you and Bette Davis are positively daggers. She'd drawn. kill you if she heard you say Bette. She's a fascinating actress, Betty Davis. Um, I've never had time to be friends with her because we only did the one picture. Well, watch Baby Jane and judge for yourself audience but like yeah I mean, the- it's it's certainly like very interesting and like you know birthed this new movie style and- right and also robert aldrich was like a, a seasoned director at the time and he did a lot of really interesting things with that movie and yeah but you know not every performance can be amazing especially in a 50-year career I mean- so we should probably talk about our least favorites my one-star review goes to Autumn Leaves. Oh, really? Which is also Robert Aldrich. Really? Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know... Did you like it? I do like it, but I'll, I'll, let, you, I'll let you spill your tea and then... Let me spill the tea. Um, I... So, what did I write down? I wrote... I, I, and I watched this very recently, um, and I literally wrote down, Oldish woman falls for a youngish dude. Um, it's essentially, like... I think this story is supposed to be trying to tell us about, you know, uh, essentially her character has kind of given her life to taking care of her father who is dying. And she like has a landlord lady who is like a spinster. And like, I think we're supposed to be learning this lesson about, you know, like, oh, you're an old lady and not getting married. Like you're wasting your life away. Oh, that's interesting. And you took, a, you took that message. Like, well, and also this movie, I think is all over the place. Um, she, at the beginning of the movie, she meets this guy. Essentially, she's like, oh, well, I have to go to this show alone because I have no one. Blah. And uh, it's kind of like, I felt very attacked because I do that often. Um, and she goes and she meets this dude at a restaurant. He just wants to sit down and eat and they end up flirting. And she's at first kind of like, no, girl, I'm not about it. Yeah. But he like is persistent and uh, played by Cliff Robertson, who uh, for modern context, most of you will know him as Uncle Ben from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. He was cute. Yeah, he's good looking. I've actually I met him shortly after the first Casual. Spider-Man movie, 
and I felt really bad because I was like, I knew he'd done a bunch of westerns, and I was like, I was like, oh, I, I love your movies, and he was like, oh, you mean like Spider Man? And I was like, no, I really like a lot of your westerns, and I didn't put it to, and I have a picture with him. I didn't put it together. I was wearing a fucking Spider Man shirt at the time. <laughs> like, yeah, but, so of course he thought that. You're embarrassing yourself. Exactly. <laughs> um. So, and at the beginning of this movie, it I thought it was gonna be a whole like. Oh no, because she's like, no, please go away. Like, I'm too old for you. Oh, Millie. Good night. Good night. Bert, please don't come back anymore. What? I mean it. Don't come back. Find a girl your own age. There must be plenty of them. It's a big city. Oh, now listen, Millie. You're just lonesome, that's all. All right, I'm lonesome too. But we can't have loneliness pushing us together because it wouldn't keep us together. Just loneliness reaching out for loneliness. I'm used to being alone. That isn't it at all. If you knew a girl your own age, you wouldn't want me. And that isn't fair. So please, before things get any more complicated, please, I mean it. They end up you getting married because she's like, fine, like, I love you. And, but then it takes a left, a hard turn into like psychosis and mental health. And he's a pathological (laughs) liar who has possibly (laughs) schizophrenic tendencies. His ex-wife comes into town right. and is like, oh, did you know that he's a lying liar who lies? And <clears throat> she's like fucking his dad, though, right? And so, <laughs> thank you, Gavin. Um, the twist is like the, she and the dad, like they're spinning this tale of like how he's a liar and they need, he, he needs help. And, you know, they need paperwork done to get like land from him. And, but then it turns out the dad and the wife are fucking and he apparently is scarred and is a liar because he caught them fucking. Right. And <clears throat> what's happened to me? Um, you're so caught. I, up I'm about caught. It, yes. Like, like I'm gonna become a liar because I caught them fucking too. <laughs> and, and he like he becomes violent towards um, uh, Joan Crawford's character. He throws a typewriter on her hand. Yeah. And, yeah. I did not like that. And no. um, and she, you know, she tries to take care of him and. Eventually, she sends him away to, to get help from a mental institution. There's a very long and bizarre, like, montage scene where they're, like, shocking his brain and, like, yeah. all that garbage, like, not real science. While, she, while she's, like, living her life alone. Right. But. And, um, and they, they, she's fighting with, like, you know, the husband and, or not the husband, the, the dad and the wife, cause they, they need the papers. And she's like, no, I love him still. And eventually, like, literally the movie just ends with him being like, after all that awful, terrifying, shocking stuff, I'm better, and that's it, right? They yeah. kiss, they like they kiss in the garden outside of the mental hospital, and that's the end of the movie. I, I think I ended up liking it more for Cliff Robertson's performance because I had not seen him in a role like that, and I did think he was really charming and really convincing at, at the beginning, and really great when like you find out that he's been like lying and right. I mean, it gets. The ending, all the stuff that happens towards the end is is incredibly extreme, and yeah, I, it's, I don't. I mean, like, like, and I, yeah, it's a part. Like, I was like, oh, there's gonna be a twist where he's you know, not what he seems. Okay, yeah, but then it was like a double twist, and I was like, oh, this is trying so hard to be like extra or like you know, um, really. Uh, I, I would have been fine with him like being a manipulative liar and her learning that like she doesn't need a man. Like right. that, that would have been a fine story, but then to add this whole thing where like he was so scarred about you know, by this really awful thing, which, like, sure, but 
to the point where he's like crying and beating up on ladies and lying right. and stealing. I was like, all right, like this is enough. What's your one star review? So my one star review actually um, isn't like super early in her career. I thought I might find something really early in her career that I didn't like. Um, mm-hmm. And I did see some of the silence. Um, actually, one of the best is The Unknown, which is like one of the best silence. It's her and Lon Chaney and Lon Chaney was just a fucking maniac. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but there's this 1942 film called They All Kiss the Bride. Oh, and no. I did not watch this one. Uh, what is it about? Don't. don't. Just don't do it? It's garbage. Okay. Um, it's directed by Alexander Hall. And it's essentially... Um, she's, a, she's a tough business owner. She runs a, a fleet of... Uh, a trucking company, right? And, um, oh God, I feel like maybe I pushed some of this out of my head because I hated it so much. What was it called again? Uh, they all kissed the bride. They all kissed the bride. Okay. Um, here's, here's a synopsis. Um, Margaret Drew runs her trucking company single-mindedly, uh, if not ruthlessly. The only thorn in her side is writer Michael Holmes, who's writing a book on some of her tough ways. With no time for men, the effect uh, an attractive stranger has on her at her sister's wedding is unnerving. When it turns out that this is the hated writer, she starts seriously to lose her bearings. Surely it can't become Maggie and Mike. So this guy is a fucking asshole. <laughs> um, this uh, is, A fucking asshole? Yeah, he's the worst. He's played by Melvin Douglas, who, it's funny, she was in a, a movie before with that was a huge box office bomb, um, but she recommended him. The, the The making of this movie was already pretty in pretty turmoil uh, because uh, it was originally set to star Carol Lombard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol Lombard had died in a plane crash um, in, on, in January of 1942. Joan Crawford had replaced her. When the film was uh, completed, she ended up contributing her salary to the American Red Cross and Lombard's wow. name, which is really nice for her. But she was on loan from Columbia Pictures, uh, for, on loan to Columbia Pictures from MGM, um, because Carol Lombard was a friend of hers, because Carol Lombard very famously was married to, uh, Clark Gable oh. at the time of her death, and actually drove Clark Gable into the army. Um, wow. Yeah, so that's, it's a long, complicated thing. But, uh, the funny thing is, is when she was, um, loaned to Columbia, they retailed the script for her. And during this time period, there was a lot of, um, there's a very specific style of comedy called screwball comedy, which is sort of a reaction to slapstick comedy. Slapstick comedy is sort of like three stooges, like a lot of pies in the face, a lot of poking each other in the eyes and stuff. And screwball comedies was a lot of like fast talking, a lot of like back and forth, the sort of his girl Fridays, the bringing up babies, you know, there's physical comedy, but it's not as like violent towards the other person. It's more, um, Witty? So, yeah, witty. Sharp. And, and sharp and fast. Okay. And, um, Gilmore Girls? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. I have a whole theory about how... <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, I am so sorry. Screwball comedy was reinvented for television in the 90s. <laughs> Anyways, um, the, uh, the problem is that's just not who Joan Crawford was. Joan Crawford could be funny, but she wasn't that kind of funny. And in retelling the script for her, like, the lines are... None of it's none of it's funny. It's incredibly sexist. The 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 Melvin Douglas character, the writer, like has no business judging this woman who runs her own fucking business. By my long gray beard, I've got it. I've got why you always have a desk in front of you. Why you have detectives standing outside the door. Why you torture your truck drivers in such delicate little ways. Why you drive your staff around with that hypothetical bullwhip. You're afraid of men. Oh, yes, you are, Maggie. You're afraid of them. 
And you're determined to make the world an unsafe place for men to live in. Oh, let's stop this nonsense, you... you... Sticks and stones, Maggie. Sticks and stones. But she's treated, like, the entire movie, like... What the hell is wrong with this bitch? Uh. Like, like this movie has a lot of those moments where, like, he grabs her and she tries to fight him and eventually gives up. Um, there is one funny scene uh, that I did enjoy. Uh, there's a scene earlier in the film where they they go and they do um, they swing dance together, which she could dance. Yes. And this is the early '40s. This was you hadn't seen her dance on screen in for at least like five years, you know. Um, and later she's like remembering it in her office and she like starts to like Lindy hop alone. Like, and I, and then somebody catches her and she has to be like, Oh no, I miss this woman. Right. Like, and that was the one funny thing that happens in the movie. But like, yeah, the movie is just a complete sexist disaster. She, I know she was doing it as a favor, but it feels like she doesn't want to be in it. Right. Um, and I, I mean, it was her friend who passed away so I could see her, you know, Definitely not. It never got favorable reviews. Uh, Melvin Douglas is terrible in it, she, and she's not great either. You're like, it's terrible and here, it, terrible there. Yeah, it's and, it, and it, like, there's a reason it's mostly forgotten. Um, and like, it's not even fun. Some of these movies that I, I, I would like to recommend some other movies that like are bad but are fun, like Flamingo Road. Right. Yeah, um, that's her in like Sydney Green Street. She plays a, a woman who's dating a an, an, it's another I put, politician. I put circus lady falls for sheriff. Yes, exactly. Fear's going to the state senate. One of these days he's going to be governor. A man like that's got to get married. Stay married. Happily married. That's fine, but I've got a right to live too. You know, when I was a young fellow, I once had a job at a warehouse. There were rats there. I didn't pay no attention to them. One night, though, I went to sleep, and a rat near half chewed my big toe off before I knew what was happening. After that, I went around and plugged up all the holes. As long as I kept the holes plugged, I didn't have nothing to worry about. That's how I kept my toes all these years. I won't be run out of town this way. Um, and Sydney Greenstreet, who's like a crime boss, like tries to drive her out of town and she comes back to get her revenge. And Sydney Greenstreet's great and is very twisty. droll. That one is one I would recommend that's not good, but like the performances are great. The other one, um, Female on the Beach. Female on the Beach is a movie where this is fucking bad, wall to wall, but so much fun. It's a noir. And it's like ridiculous where yeah. it's like a young, a young, quote unquote young, he's gray, but like a young man, like, like, tries to seduce her for his money. Yeah, because his aunt and uncle, like, are using... Yeah, they're con people. They, yeah, it's weird, because also at the end, they, like, find another boy to, like, start using Yeah, him. I'm like, I don't... I, I actually, be, like, midway through the movie, I was like, I don't think they're really his aunt and uncle. Right. Either. I was like, um, wait. They, they sort of... Uh, they collect hot men to seduce rich women, women yes. for their money. And there's, like, a big twist at the end, and it's a lot of fun and really stupid... But it's also, like, a really bad movie. It's ridiculous. Um, for sure. Was there any ones that you would, like, recommend just on, on that uh, while we're still doing bad ones? But, yeah. So, I guess that would be I enough. think that's it. Yeah. We should move into our fast forward. Real quick, I mentioned earlier we talked about Mommy Dearest. Mommy Dearest is a film made out of the book that written by her daughter about Joan Crawford's alleged abuse of her. Uh, it's an 80s film. It stars Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. And uh, I just wanted to say, it seems in modern context, most people, when they think of Joan Crawford, that's what they're thinking. They go to that, the, yeah. the Faye Dunaway performance. That's not fair. Yeah. That's, it's really not fair. It's very over the top. Betty Davis, 
classic feud with Joan Crawford even said when interviewed about um, Mommy uh, Dearest, she said, uh, Faye Dunaway deserves to be in an institution, and I don't mean marriage. <laughs> um, so, like, she was very loyal to her dead frenemy. Right. Um, and, and, like, I love, like, I'll be perfectly honest, I love Mommy Dearest, but I don't watch it as an accurate portrayal of, of right. what happened. And, uh, it's entertaining. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's become a cult classic. John Waters does the commentary on the DVD. Highly worth listening <laughs> to. Um, also, we mentioned, uh, Feud earlier, right. uh, Feud Bet and Joan, Ryan Murphy's TV series. I, uh, spoiler alert, particularly hate Ryan Murphy. I, I think he's a trash monger. Um, I don't understand how he keeps getting TV shows. I am happy he did this one. I did watch the whole thing. I didn't particularly like it. Um, I think Susan Sarandon did uh, uh, a really great job. Um, as Joan? As as Betty. Oh, she's Betty. Um, I did not think Jessica Lang did a good job as Joan Crawford. I think if, you, if you're if you a Joan Crawford fan and you watch her films, one of the things that's really apparent is how strong of a person. Um, and admittedly, they're, they're trying to do the private Joan Crawford, but... She spends almost the, like she plays her as Jessica as Jessica Lange. She right. spends a lot of it kind of weepy and a lot of it kind of like broken. She, yeah, she shows that vulnerable side in a way that. Um, Do you think everybody reads false? Yeah, and it and I felt really bad because I don't want to say that she didn't deserve an Emmy nomination, but to me it it just wasn't. She she wasn't doing Joan Crawford, and um, I mean, it's funny because everyone was like, "Oh, you're you're doing Joan Crawford. Like you should watch." Few. I was like, "Listen, I have to watch like." 80 fucking films. I'd rather watch actual Joan Crawford than, like, put time in to watch a thing that's, uh, like, like, about right. Joan Crawford. And I'm like, wow, people really, really have opinions. Well, people, people want to hate her. And part of, I will be honest, part of it is that thing that, you you know, like, people began sort of seeing the real <laughs> determined Joan Crawford at the end and began just casting her as the bitch. Right. And, like, I think that's uh, colored a lot of the impression of the the previous generations before us. And that's why, like, the generation that we have now, their frame of reference is Mommy Dearest. So it's like, you know, even watching when drag, when they did All Stars and they drag race and, um, oh, uh, 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 Alyssa Edwards. Alyssa Edwards did, it was very clear the only thing she knew about Joan Crawford was Mommy Dearest. And like, that was sort of upsetting. And like, when they did Feud, there was a lot of, like, there's obviously a lot of references to their career. But for some reason, there was, when it came to Joan Crawford, like, there was a scene where she's, like, sitting in a boardroom, and Ryan Murphy had her dressed the same way that her, the character Joan Crawford is dressed in Mommy Dearest, and it's like, this, this isn't related to that, like, this right. isn't, but that's also part of the reason why I hate Ryan Murphy, because <laughs> he's never had an original idea in his life. Right. Um, but, uh, oh, also, even, like, uh, not to be super gay, but Mariah, uh, seasons ago, did her... And again, it was just the big eyebrows and yeah. more wire hangers and like, it's just... And that's, what, and that's what people know about her. And to me, that's a, a little sad because she is a much more three-dimensional person. Yeah. And she did have a sad... Like, it wasn't an easy beginning. It wasn't an easy end for her. And, and but she I was think so she prolific. Was, yeah, she was so prolific. And I think she was really tough. And that's why, you know, I... Like, if I am being honest, I do believe she was probably not great to her children. But, um, the, uh... I wonder if... Uh, I wonder if, like, the proliferation of television and the more that she, like, the more access the world got to her, the mythos of her kind of diminished. Yeah. And people were able to not just, like, fill in the blanks of, like, a starlet, you know, and kind of, they were able to see her more and they were like, oh, she is kind of X, Y, Z. And so, I mean, it's kind of like, it's celebrities today, you know, like, you, you can tweet at them and it's whatever, you know, and... um 
I, I, I just wonder if she was better served by having mystery and like right. you'd see her at the, at the, the, you know, at the Oscars or her debuts and on screen. And, and she, and she did do some shitty things. Like the uh, whole thing, few talks about the, the time that she, um, called up all the other, yeah. uh, all the other Oscar winners for the year that Joan Crawford was nominated and she was. Betty was. Crawford. Oh, yeah. yeah Betty, Betty was nominated. Betty was Joan. nominated for um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, yeah. and Joan wasn't, and allegedly she was furious, Yeah, didn't do any press for the movie, and decided to call up literally every other nominee, nominee and asked if any of them won. She could accept it on their behalf, and it was um Anne Bancroft, I believe. Yeah, 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 and sh- and so and sh- and they all and the, what's true is they all agreed. Yeah, and so um yeah, Joan Crawford sure did get up there. The, and the way they the way they played it in the but the, the other thing about feud is like it's one sad hour after another, which is sort of I like I like the stuff when they talk about uh, Baby Jane, but like post that it's literally like watching just the most depressing thing. Um, but it was nominated for 18 Emmys, which is a lot of Emmys. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what it wins. Uh, that just happened this past week. Um, also, I did want to bring up just one thing. Um, uh, and this is in Feud. Um, Betty Davis famously said, was quoted by a newspaper, um, that uh, they called her up and they wanted to ask about Joan Crawford's death. And her famous quote was, um, you know, you should never say bad things about the dead, only good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. And so, but I think that was Betty Davis staying in the headlines, right? You know, like that's, um, I don't know. Their feud is really interesting, but it's not the most interesting part of Joan Crawford. And it certainly is not the most interesting part of Betty Davis. Right. Um, totally. But, uh, but yeah, I'm glad we were able to tackle a classic thing because it is, is very different than doing the other things. And plus we're still early on in this podcast. So we're sort of discovering new things we can do with it. And, uh, this was really fun. But if you'd like us to do more classic things or you want us to go back, if you did not like this at all (laughs) and want us us to go back to more modern stuff, feel free to contact us. You can find us online at uh, Twitter at at The Mixed Reviews. On Facebook, just type in The Mixed Reviews. Uh, You can email us at uh, reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Um, also, let us know. I mean, there are so many movies. Yeah. Um, I certainly didn't watch even half of them. Uh, I didn't. I didn't hear uh, 30, 37 movies out of an eighty-two movie career. Yeah. It's yeah. Really. Uh, and so, I know some of her silent films are lost. So. Right. So, um, but let us know what your favorite one is. We will put up a poll uh, this upcoming upcoming week. Um, it'll be hard to like narrow it down to yeah. top four. I know we're gonna have we're gonna have our two and then yeah. like yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting. And also, if you didn't like the fact that we didn't cover Baby Jane, come tell us. Come for us, man. Drag ha. But also, uh, we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music. Uh, so some of our episodes are up on SoundCloud. And if you subscribe to us, please rate and review us. Uh, it lets uh, other people know about us. And the larger our audience is, the more interaction we have with you guys, and the more cool stuff we can do. Yeah, we tell actually, me I'm pretty. Yeah, well, you are. Thank you. Um. We actually know who we're doing next week. Should we announce it just to see if anybody wants to play along at the home game, or should we keep it quiet? I don't know. I mean, why not, right? It doesn't matter. Let's let's see what happens. If it goes well, then maybe we'll do it again. Yeah. Whatever. So, in two weeks, you'll get a new episode from us. Right. That's all about... Charlize. Queen Charlize. Miss Charlize herself, Theron. Theron. 
Uh, it's funny, I actually just found an interview clip of her, like, saying how you actually pronounce her last how name. How is it? Oh, I can't remember. No, please. I can't pronounce, I can't pronounce Smith. <laughs> like, how dare you ask? Right. But, uh, but yeah, so we'll be back uh, in two weeks with an yeah. episode about Charlize. Char- yeah, we're doing Charlize because Atomic Blonde is coming out, and we're both really pumped to go see that. Absolutely. Um, and also, she is a queen. Yeah. But, uh, but Joan... Joan was great to us. So, Joan was good to us, um, and I hope she's been good to you. Absolutely. Maybe you now see her in a softer light. Maybe I don't know. She, I, saw, I mean, she was. Some of those later films were real soft. Real light. true. You're not wrong. <laughs> <sighs> All right, guys. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Though you hold me in your arms tonight, will tomorrow bring the same delight? Though we love each other, how long will it last? You are like a burning flame to me Will you always be the same to me? Though I take your kisses How long will they last? Whatever you may do This heart of mine is true I still believe in you Though love go past With you happiness and bliss appear all my troubles seem to disappear, yet my constant fear, how long will